0: This is Five and Nine, a podcast at the crossroads of magic, work, and economic justice. Welcome to season three, episode four.
1: At a concert not so very long ago, I heard a play, a wondrous melody.
0: And I think we're so conditioned in the capitalist society we live in to not think that with slowing down comes transformation. And for us, with slowing down to to the speed of presence, to what really matters in the moment, is also for the work that we do, creating experiences to help people connect deeply with what it means to become a future ancestor or to be a future ancestor, is slowing down to the speed of legacy and what legacy we're leaving behind. With that slowing down comes this realization that everything that we are doing in this moment is already shaping generations.
1: Hi, everyone. This is Anna Anshalmina, producer at Five and Nine.
2: This is Dorothy Santos with Five and Nine, director of Magic.
1: You've just heard Nora Badainet, a creative producer, facilitator, and artist who's passionate about futures thinking, immersive storytelling, and social innovation. When we think about the future, we often think about technology. Images of space travel, flying cars, and extraterrestrials might come to mind. In this episode, Nora invites us to think about the future through the lens of ancestry and to consider what it means to slow down and reflect on the legacy we leave in the world. Together with Brit Pham, she co-founded One of Many Studio, consulting and experience design studio that connects people with what it means to be a future ancestor. We'll hear from Noor on how she decided to make the leap from the 9-to-5 life into starting her own practice, and we'll learn about the influence of her teta, or grandmother, on her life and work. We'll talk about why land acknowledgments are so important, and we'll close out with a meditation from Noor by One of Many that helps us face the climate crisis by honoring our interconnectedness and we'll close out with an Arabic Galilean folk song she sang in honor of her grandmother. The music for this episode is That Soothing Serenade, composed by Harry DaCosta and performed by Henry Burr in 1918. It's music that would have been popular at the dawn of the jazz age, the same period of time that gave us the rider Wade smith deck, one of the most popular and influential tarot decks in the world.
0: Now my plays
1: all day
2: Laura, thank you so much for joining us today. And especially with this theme of rest that Ana Shawe and I have been repeatedly talking about this past season, I know we have a very similar background in the sense that we both left nine to fives intentionally.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So the question mm-hmm. I had for you was not just when did you make this decision, but was there an object or an image that comes to mind where you reached this inflection point of, I need to leave this nine to five
0: ASAP? Thank you for that question. And thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be in conversation with you. It sometimes feels like it was yesterday, but it's actually been almost five years, which is incredible. I'm very grateful that I've been on this journey for, I'm still on this journey. You know, there are moments where, of course, I felt like I was going to have to come back to the nine to five gratefully I I still I'm holding on (laughs) I think you know it's hard to pinpoint one object or one actual like thing or artifact because it was uh, a combination of things I wasn't fulfilled by uh, the work that I was doing. And I I have to preface this by saying that when I say work, for me, I, I usually say my work is my life and my life is my work. So I went from compartmentalizing everything that was on my plate to like kind of bringing and integrating everything together. Yeah, so I think it was a combination of like really being intentional with noticing kind of how I was being fulfilled and also how I felt that I was being of service through my work because so much of my work has always been rooted in social justice so uh, it was really about impact also that's very very important and and like how I'm being of service and the impact that I'm creating and I I felt like I could have been I could be of more service outside the confinements of uh, what was 9 to 5 for me in that moment. One of my studio is creating experiences that help people connect to what it means to be a future ancestor. We do experience design and consulting, of course, but I think one of our main offerings is this residency that we we host in the Wadi Ram Desert. And this year we're centering the residency around the theme of water and the global water crisis and wanting to center also the global indigenous in the conversation around the water crisis. And uh, a lot of people don't know that Jordan is the second poorest country for water in the world. And so one of the reasons also why we wanted to center water as the theme is bringing multidisciplinary creators to this desert to really experience a future that's already here in some ways that's coming for various places around the world. Our vision really at one of many is to create the greatest cultural shift of our generation and by transforming how people relate to themselves, to their agency, to each other and uh, to their legacy. And I think that comes with elevating some of the critical conversations. I I really believe in the power of a conversation, but also in the power of a community coming together. Uh, I know it sounds (laughs) very idealistic, but I've experienced it myself. Like If I'm going to have the audacity to do this, then I'm going to have the audacity to want to create the greatest cultural shift of our generation.
1: Something we've talked about is the importance of acknowledgement, land acknowledgement. It's a core part of the work you do. And I'm wondering if you can just talk a little bit about the, the practice of acknowledgement and what that means for you and for One of Many in the work you do.
0: One of Many, we created an offering called The Art of Acknowledgement, because we believe in how in the power of acknowledging things in certain spaces that are not acknowledged, or people don't feel like they have the tools or the language to acknowledge them or may feel a sense shame for example or like I don't know enough or even fear of cancel culture in air quotes and so we found that in our communities including the also air quotes wellness community where so many of ancestral practices and traditions that have been used for time and that have been kind of Adopted or appropriated in some ways. And I think we wanted to invite acknowledgement and respect to these, whether it's musical practices or healing modalities. And that's kind of why the work around acknowledgement came to be out of a a need to like give people more space to have the conversations around what needs to be acknowledged. And I think I have seen the value of land acknowledgements on the other side of the planet, really, as well as of course here, because I think when you name the unceded lands, you're also bringing with you a history that's often forgotten and erased. And it's creating a space in this moment to name it and to recreate awareness around it. A lot of people don't know what you're talking about. And that's a whole opening conversation to be like, oh, well, you didn't learn this in school, it's usually by design, Like, let's have a conversation, you know. And I also believe that the present is, the past is very much present in our lives. And so is the future. And so it's also uh, land acknowledgments are a moment that kind of like collapse the past and present and future into one or have us kind of. Be aware and present to that. There's a lot of um, power for me in naming naming lands and bodies of water before colonization. It's in many ways reclaiming lost memory of these names.
2: One of the you know responses I read to a question that was asked of you and it was through pop-up magazine was where did you learn love? And you, Mm. your answer was about your grandmother, but more specifically the Jasmine that she recalls from (laughs) this lifelong journey and, you know, seven countries, six children, 19 grandchildren. Yes. I oftentimes feel that people think that how they are of value in the world is the work that they produce. And sometimes Mm. it's not about that. And I think that's one of the reasons why I asked about, a particular decision point in your life that you experience mm. stepping away and and it feeling good because sometimes you have to make it's a very it's a very two of swords energy that I have these <laughs> these decisions that I need to make but both entail a sacrifice so maybe that's a better question mm. for you is what was what was it that you felt that you were sacrificing but in the end resulted in you getting rest but also being the Nord that you needed to be.
0: Mm. It's funny, I was literally writing this morning and I had this practice of writing and I wrote freedom is the smell of jasmine from Teta, which is grandmother in Arabic from Teta's hands. Mm-hmm. My grandmother is a huge in- inspiration and everything that I do and I am is uh, to honor her and, and her work and her legacy. And I think, you know, in making this decision actually of leaving the nine to five What was really difficult about it was like thinking of grandmother and my mother and so many of the women in my life that weren't afforded the freedoms that I embody in this moment to be able to make such a choice, to choose to be financially independent and have, have the space to say, like, I want to commit to my creative practice as an artist. There's so much liberation that comes with that. And also guilt. I'm much more comfortable with with feel today <laughs> it's been a journey but I, I remember feeling like who the hell do I think I am to do this you know like the audacity kind of a thing you know like the audacity to say like I'm going to create a path for myself on my terms it's not something that my mother nor my grandmothers were were ever able to do in their lifetimes and it's so sacred for me that I get to make that decision every single day.
2: no you're having me experience something I've never experienced on the podcast before which is I'm I try really hard to not be emotional when I'm recording. Mm-hmm. I know Anna and Shawe know that I'm a crier. They know me very well. But on a <laughs> podcast, it's just, it's very strange because I oftentimes try to ensure that that doesn't, you know, come out. But the reason why I share this with you. So thank you for also you naming the fact that guilt oftentimes is part and parcel of what we have to deal with as children, grandchildren, children of the diaspora. And it reminds me of this quote that Ocean Vong said so beautifully. He said, so many of us immigrant children end up betraying our parents in order to subversively achieve our parents' dreams. Like you, I journal every day and there are certain Mm -hmm. things I hear. And sometimes even just engaging in some kind of clear audience where there's, I, I hear this voice and I just need to write the thing down. But When I read about the residency, one of the things that stood out to me just, I mean, it was kind of just making itself very apparent Hmm. is this relationship to the earth. And it's not just a relationship, but this kind of stewardship that I feel many people are not engaged in, oftentimes because they're just trying to survive, whether it's a nine to five, whether it's feeding your family, whether it's feeding yourself, there's this quote, slowing down to the speed of presence. I am very curious how you (laughs) might explain that to someone who is their first reaction is one of, that's very abstract, but I'm, Mm. I have to be honest with you. It seems very simple and very overt to me, but I, we want to hear directly from you. What is meant by slowing down to the speed of presence.
0: Mm. I resonate so deeply, by the way, Dorothy, with everything that you shared, I gather people in Wadiram, artists and multidisciplinary creators once a year with Brit Pham, my uh, collaborator, a partner and co-founder at one of Many studio. And slowing down to the speed of presence is so core to like the DNA of who we are and what we do. And I want to uh, shout out Levina Lee, who uh, is a dear friend, sister, and also has been uh, my coach and for a few years and actually Britt and I connected through a coaching platform she created called Embody uh, or a coaching experience that she created called Embody and she was the first person to introduce us to the concept of slowing down to the speed of presence and I think we're so conditioned in the capitalist society we live in to not think that with slowing down comes transformation and for us with slowing down to to the speed of presence to what really matters in the moment is also for the work that we do creating experiences to help people connect deeply with what it means to become a future ancestor or to be a future ancestor is slowing down to the speed of legacy and what legacy we're leaving behind. With that slowing down comes this realization that everything that we are doing in this moment is already shaping generations. In the Haudenosaunee um, Confederacy, they have coined the seven generation principle that is that everything you do in this moment is directly shaped by the past seven generations and directly shaping the next seven generations. A lot of my creative practices in speculative design or futures work. And I always say in that space that the first futurist I met is actually my grandmother, Tita. Because of the way that her thinking is so, she's so wired to think generationally. And I think that's what makes a person have a uh, vision, right? Or be a future thinker is when they are in tune and connected to future generations. So I think for me, that is what slowing down to the speed of presence means. And that's why it is so core to the way that we gather people also, and the way that we create experiences, Um, one of many.
2: I am going to ask you based off of what you just shared related to your grandmother thinking generationally, this is not me troubling it. This is Mm -hmm. me asking how we deal with the complications of the different systems that our parents and our grandparents and our lineage have actually grown up and within and Mm -hmm. constantly trying to upend things such as patriarchy Mm -hmm. and different aspects of what might be detrimental in our contemporary moment. So my question to you then, if we are to think generationally, how Mm -hmm. might we engage in every generation instilling some kind of aspect of asking a question of evolution? Mm -hmm. What does not work? Because oftentimes when we look at systems and we look at institutions, and I get really passionate about this, we oftentimes encounter people and sometimes even our own loved ones where the old way is the yeah. best way, but it's not. And mm-hmm. so how might we think differently, but still honor what your grandmother has is teaching all of us to
0: mm-hmm. think generationally, but also co-evolving with one another? I think it's, it's such a multifaceted and very, very important question. I think there's so many ways to address it and I'm going to speak humbly from my experience as you were asking a question I kept thinking about healing like there's so much healing as a reframe like thinking of of healing as as uh, a tool for organizing not you know a a tool for coming together to push for change that we want to be seeing right like I think in our healing journeys when we heal that also means different things to different people but I think like I have found that in the last few years specifically you know during this pandemic that we are living in I think of how different the tools that I have available to me for my own healing journey are uh, than the tools that my ancestors had available to them. It's so important to be having intergenerational conversations. I believe in that so strongly. And sometimes we have to show up for these conversations with humility and with kindness and compassion and big picture thinking, you know, like the bird's eye view thinking, thinking of like the bigger picture of things. I mean, of course... There are things, my grandmother, for example, she was married before she was even 20. She was married very, very young and had six children, very, very young. I am in my 30s and I still haven't got married or had children. And my relationship to to for these decisions is very different than her relationship to them. Understanding that she came from a very different generation where things operated in a very different way. And she also escaped war or they had to flee Nazareth, her birth and home country when she was nine. So I think like, I'm also the first generation, by the way, in my family to not live through a war or to hide in a den. (laughs) Both of my parents had bomb shelters in their homes growing up. I think that comes with a whole different set of trauma, right, as well. I am grateful for all the research that's coming up as well. And that's being centered and highlighted about generational trauma, because I think it is really important. And I also believe in generational healing and in the ways that I think we are able to use the tools that are available to us to heal things that our elders and our ancestors didn't have the language even for. And I I feel that disconnect sometimes because language is another big, important, I think, element to, to answering your question is that language is constantly evolving and changing, of course, and I believe very strongly in the power of language and i think that sometimes the language that we have does not fully embody or represent like what you know what we mean or what we want to be embodying and i certain words can mean certain things to me and they can mean something completely different like let's say to to an elder of mine and and kind of learning how to create a new language together or finding that middle ground where where we can be experiencing healing but it, but very different journeys you know
2: yes i totally understand and I'm thinking about my own grandmother as I'm speaking with you and regarding language I my academic research is actually on voice and speech technologies and so I'm always listening to voices Mm. and I think one of the things that I I could pinpoint in what you were talking about and this is going to get really personal and I'm very curious what is a saying that your grandmother would tell you that you Mm. feel you go back to I hope you don't mm. mind me asking because this could be very no. personal and I want to respect yes. it. But I think a big part of the reason why I ask is language is also about incantation. Mm. I think that's as tarot readers, you know, Anna Shawe and I constantly talk about we have to be very thoughtful and intentional about the things that we say in relationship yes. to the querent and the cards that come before us. Because, you know, someone is trusting us, mm. but sometimes there is always this thing in the back of your head, whether you are told by a parent, a grandparent, your best friend your partner, your lover, you know, things like I love you, you know, I know that sounds so saccharine, but, you know, I still believe in the power of that. And so I'm wondering, is there Mm. something that your grandmother has incanted for you into your life?
0: Oh, so much. Oh, my goodness. There's so many. I want to also preface this by saying that I think to kind of follow on my last answer, I think it's also a daily commitment, that work, you know, that healing work. It's not something that I did to be where I am here. No, no, it's a daily choice and a daily commitment to commit to that, to commit and to be open to that, because I'm constantly unlearning things that were very deeply ingrained in me around shame, you know, and honor, even till this day. One thing that I am yet to experience in my life is the same kind of selfless and unconditional love that I experienced from my grandmother, peace be upon her. I think that's something that my experience of love transcended the, wor- the words that we have to <laughs> to explain it the things I learned from her the most that were the most magical were things she didn't even say like it was just experience which is something I know I will miss very much from her being in from us being in this physical realm together because I know that she is uh, with me in, spirit in this moment and always and my mother my grandmother loved love music so much she was such a lover of music and Um Kulthum is this legendary icon from the 1950s, Egyptian. I highly recommend if you don't know her to anybody that's listening to listen and explore Um Kulthum's music. And um, some of her songs are like 40 minutes long. (laughs) But she is such an icon, a legend. And my grandmother knew all of her songs almost by heart. And a lot of her songs are poetry. So my grandmother could recite poetry, like 12th century poetry. and just And she never finished high school, by the way. I'm always very inspired by my grandmother's journey and uh, her love of life and honestly and music and language. And so much of my work recently has been on liberation. So I asked her, like, what songs of liberation or freedom come to mind? And she sang this lyric from a song by Uncle Thum, and it goes in Arabic. atini hurriyati أطلق يديا إنني أعطيت ما صبقيت شيئا. Which means give me my freedom, uh, unleash my hands. I have given more than I've got to give. She really loved that song and that specific verse. Um Khatun would sing it with so much emotion. Even if you don't speak Arabic and you listen to that song, you listen to that verse, you'd be like, wow, like the pain you hear in her voice. The reason why I bring this specific kind of song up or this lyric up is because it's a constant reminder for me of how much like pain and suffering and trauma that my my grandmother endured in her life. She always embodied so much grace and love and compassion. You wouldn't know of all the, you know, the heaviness and the trauma and the pain that she carried. And she was always such an optimist or she, you know, she's a glass half full person for sure. I have never heard her complain in my life, even when she was battling cancer in her last days, never, like she would never complain about anything. So I think that's one thing that I carry with me every single day is just like there being so much gratitude and also, just like love and pursuit of, of freedom.
2: I feel a bit choked up. I could actually mm. feel it in my throat while you were talking. Our, our grandmothers lived very similar mm. or lived through very similar experiences of war and trauma. But my last question to you is, and this is based on my own creative practice, mm. and it's a prompt that I've given people. What would you say to your grandmother that you didn't get a chance to say to her when she was alive?
0: Ooh, Dorothy. <laughs> I feel like I, I, I was able to share everything with my grandmother because, you know, she had cancer and so and we don't live in the same city. So whenever I, I was, I had the privilege of being able to be by her or come visit her in Jordan, like I would use every moment and cherish it. And I actually recorded a lot of my conversations with my grandmother, with her consent, of course. So I feel really good about being able to share with her and to, to thank her for everything that she had uh, she had done, all the ways that she has taught me everything that I need to know to be who I am in this moment for all her wisdom. Like I, I was so expressive with my words with her and making her feel seen and, and loved and, you know, and just say thank you. I wanted to say thank you for, to her a and one times a day, you know, so I feel very lucky that I got the, the time and knew that I, I, you know, her time was coming so that I could say thank you. And I think one thing I would let her know now is I'm, I'm okay and I'm going to be okay, you know? I felt that mm. she's such a matriarch and protector, you know, that she's always trying to, like, care and nurture everyone around her constantly. And I would want her to know that I'm going to be okay no matter what, right? And for her to just, like, rest knowing I am I'm okay and, and things are going to be okay
2: rest assured not Mm. only will you be okay you will be phenomenal because you are phenomenal but Uh also thank you you are you you are your grandmother you you Mm. also are someone who is a a guardian and you know is a steward and someone who cares very deeply and intentionally about the collaborators you have the community that you're engaged with and so it's been an honor to learn about Mm. you through your grandmother actually so i wanted to just express immense gratitude for you sharing with us today.
0: Thank you so much for saying that and for creating the space for me to share and for asking these beautiful questions. You know, I'm also struck that it's it's International Women's Month. It's special to be having this conversation. And, and these days, I celebrate all the women that have come before us in our lives that made it possible for us to be here in this moment and to even have this conversation with you.
1: Hi everyone, this is Anna. We're going to close out this podcast with a meditation led by Noor and a beautiful rendition of Yama Muel al-Hawa, an Arabic-Galilean folk song she sang with her cousin Bushra Bataina. They performed at Bars for Thought, an open mic poetry night in Brooklyn, and they sang in honor of her grandmother and Women's History Month. It's a song about love, freedom, land, the seasons, and resistance. But before we close, just a word about this podcast. 5 and 9 is an independent podcast and newsletter at the crossroads of magic work and economic justice. This show is produced by Dorothy Santos, Xiaowei Wang, and me, Ana Anchaomina. While this podcast is always free, if you enjoyed it, we invite you to buy us a virtual cup of coffee. You can subscribe on Substack for just $6 a month. Your support helps cover our production costs and honoraria for our guest speakers. And paying subscribers get additional benefits like discounts on classes with the shipment agency and access to our tarot scopes, which we produce in partnership with Ignota Books. And this month, we're really pleased to roll out a meditation section on our website. This includes standalone meditations from our hosts and guests like Noor, and it's a special benefit for our paid subscribers to support you in your wellness practice. Find us at is 5 and 9com on Apple, Spotify, Google, and wherever you listen to podcasts. And without further ado, Noor Batainen.
0: I want to take a moment to acknowledge that I am joining you today from the unceded territories and homelands, traditional lands of the Monsi, Lenape, the Canarsie, uh, the Shinnecock, and the Haudenosaunee um, Confederacy, and um, today known as Brooklyn, New York. And I want to invite you to find a place where, if you are safe and able to, place your feet on the ground and close your eyes. And once you feel settled, I want to invite you to take a deep breath in through your nose, out through your mouth. Find your own rhythm and start with your attention as it is, on your breath, moving through your body. Notice any tension you may be feeling, maybe in your shoulders, in your neck, your lower back, wherever you may be feeling tension, feel free to shake or wiggle, whatever feels good for you. Notice any judgments you may that may be coming up. Maybe any judgments around the sound of my voice or the quality of this audio. Whatever it is, release it and come back to breath. I invite you to tune into your natural rhythm, the natural rhythm of your breath with intention. Remember who you were before you were labeled. Remember the winds, the stories they carried, the wisdom they weaved, the violence they erased. Remember the stars guiding the wanderers, the dreamers, the ones with visions, the freedom seekers, the abolitionists, the ancestors, move like water. Remember water, the sacred, the beloved, the source. Remember water. And in your mind's eye, I invite you to imagine a body of water by which you feel at ease. Imagine you find yourself by the water. Take a deep breath. What does it smell like here? How does the air feel on your skin? Take a look around. What do you see? When you feel settled in the space, you take a step forward into the water. Notice the temperature. Notice how your body reacts as it meets the substance, this gentle and powerful element as natural as your own body. And as you wade further into the water, you notice that you begin to dissolve into the water. You become one. And then with the lightness of air, you find yourself floating up towards the sky. You pay your respects to the sun and the moon. You greet the clouds like old friends. And you witness the earth below you in all of her glory, speckled with infinite shades of color. And as easily as you rose to the clouds, you fall back down to where you came from. Your body is made of approximately 60% water the same water that rises to the sky and falls to the ground every day around the world what we do to earth we do to ourselves what we do to ourselves we do to each other so consider this how do you embody respect and care for the earth for yourself and each other many of us are gathering on unceded lands. These lands hold the legacy and the souls of ancestors who stewarded the land with humanity in the face of violence and inhumanity. We honor them. Engaging in the sacred practice of acknowledging the land and all that she holds allows us to acknowledge the full continuum of the human experience both the injustices we do not seek to repeat, as well as the joys we wish to replicate. When we acknowledge, we infuse our individual experiences with a collective experience, with ancestral memories, with the earth that lives below us and the sky above us and with the bodies that hold us, for they are one and the same. We are all living through the consequences of climate injustice, but we are not equally affected. We weather the same storm, and yet we travel in different vessels. And so we invite you in this moment to lean into the responsibility of acknowledging your power and understanding that we are in this together. Take a final stabilizing breath. Let this be the deepest breath you've taken all day. And as you seal up this practice, leave the space knowing that you are not alone, that you are one of many.